God's word to us this morning begins in Leviticus chapter 19, in verse 1. Hear the word from the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am Yahweh your God. Now when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to Yahweh, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and the next day, but what remains until the third day shall be burned with fire. We'll turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be, a, may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. If you would now please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation, Psalm 116, verses 12 through 19. Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning again. This morning as we were walking out to the car, uh, 
my younger half of the family said, look, it snowed. <laughs> and uh, that just reminds me how quick we are to forget. Because <laughs> it wasn't that long ago we moved from a place where it actually snows. And as people were like that, we're prone to forget. And I'm going to turn back to Romans in, in just a minute where we started last week. But I want to begin with these words. You should recognize where they came from. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who, is, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you did create all things, and because of you, of your will, they existed and were created. As you read through the book of Revelations, what you find is that the song that begins in the beginning in increases through, through the book. So the song of the four living creatures, unto it is added the 24 elders, and, and there's an entire chorus that's added as they're singing in heaven. The praise that is due to Yahweh worthy is the Lamb to open the book to receive glory, honor, and dominion and praise. That is where God's narrative is heading, where we're joined with him in his house to sing his praise, to give thanks before him eternally. And if you would turn back to Romans 1, I want to remind you then of the opposite of this and end its effect. So I'll make a few additional observations from last week. So Romans 1, verse 18 Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident to them, is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. And men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So remember, the fundamental problem is in creation, when mankind suppresses the truth of who God is, they do that, they do not want to acknowledge Him, to honor Him, or to give thanks. 
When we fail to honor God and to give thanks, the sequence of Romans 1 plays out. We begin worshiping someone other than God. And in Romans, Paul tells us that who we begin to worship is His creation rather than the Creator. And the just penalty, the due, the natural result of that is played out within our lives. Because in the end, when we worship creation rather than the Creator, we're worshiping our image. It's self-worship. Whether that looks like worshiping birds and four-footed animals or even the creatures gathered around the throne, the angels in heaven, it is a form of self-worship in which we worship that which is creation rather than creator. And so the just penalty, the due, the natural penalty is that's played out within our passions, within what we look like, so that on a personal level we see it in our relationships where we want relationships that are formed with those that are like us instead of those that are different from us. And so in that due penalty, God gives us over to degrading passions, and the truth of who God gives gets more, the truth of who God is gets suppressed more and more, and the world falls into darkness. We are made for thanksgiving. If you would pray with me. Father, as we come into your word and we hear the songs that you have recorded for us to sing, truths that protect us from this end, Lord, we pray that they would be buried deep within our hearts and that these words would come then from within, reflected back to you, an acknowledgement, a confession of who you are. You are the one who made us. You are the one who redeemed us, and to you is owed all gratitude and thanks. We give you praise and glory and honor because that's what you made us for. And so we do that this morning in your presence and ask that you would be with us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would turn with me to Psalm 116. So you'll notice that I flip the call to worship and the text for the sermon this week from last week. So we're, we're uh, looking then at the call to worship. Um, I found that, that these two texts, they speak together. So Psalm 50 was God's word to us. He calls to us then. And the end of that call in which he's, he's calling and summoning his people into his presence is an admonition to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He rebukes first, and then he says, this is what you must do. Come before me and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pay your vows within the presence of El Elyon, the Most High. And Psalm 116 is a response to that idea. When God calls us into his presence, Psalm 116 is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's not the only one, of course. There's many, many, many songs of thanksgiving contained within the Psalter. But this is then an example of our response to God. I chose Psalm 116 because as in the last few weeks we've been going through the Psalter very, very, very broadly, but we went first and, and looked at the first book and then the third book, and now in the middle of the fifth book we find this psalm, Psalm 116, and I'll just give you a, a brief overview then of book five of the Psalter. It begins with the 107th Psalm, and that Psalm 2 is a psalm of thanksgiving, 
but it's a psalm of thanksgiving that's, that's national, in which Israel remembers, is called to remember their past. And what's particularly interesting about the song of Psalm 107 is he, he calls them the gathered people of God, gathered from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the sea. And he calls them in four parts then to remember their history, how he's brought them and redeemed them. And each time, it's God who afflicted them. And that lesson from Psalm 107 is God brought his people down and he brought them to the point of despair when they cried out to him. And then in response, he rescued them. And in response, he calls them to offer that sacrifice of thanksgiving and to call upon him. And that's important for understanding Psalm 116. We'll get that to that in just, just a minute. But in giving thanks, they're called to give thanks for the God who both afflicted them, who brought them into despair, and for the God who rescued them out of that despair. So the end of that psalm says, He who is wise, let him consider what God has done. In his goodness, God brings us trouble to bring us to the point of calling on him. And then in his faithfulness, when we obey and we cry out to him, he rescues his people and we call upon him again. That psalm that begins book five grows throughout, throughout the book. And in this book, which it seems was assembled during the, the exile, and that will, that will flavor how you sing these psalms, if, if they're psalms that are sung while the people are in Babylon, as we're reminded in Psalm 137, they take on a different tenor because you cannot offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving while you're in Babylon. There's no temple to go to. And so there's this overriding question of what are we supposed to do? How do we call upon God when we're in exile, when we, it looks like we as the people of God are removed from his presence and we're at the low point of God afflicting us? How do we respond to him? And yet, in book five of the Psalter, there's this growing crescendo of praise in which there's an answer that where, where, where is God? How do, how do we find him? But well, he knows us from our innermost being. Where can you escape from God? Nowhere. He's in the depths of the sea. He's everywhere. And so there's this crescendo that ends in the, in the end of the Psalter with five psalms that are praise. Hallelujah is the call that we make to God because of what he's doing, because his interaction with us, the gifts that he gives us in life are beyond our expectation, but they're better than what we could have conceived of because our God is redeeming us. He's sanctifying us by bringing us to despair where we call upon him and then he welcomes us into his house. So Psalm 116 is found in the first of a series of psalms that are called Hallelujah Psalms or the Hallel Psalms. So the first, the first section of those goes from Psalm 111 to Psalm 118. And then, again, we, we see them scattered throughout, but there's a second section, as I said, from Psalm 146 to Psalm 150. And so we, here we have a first note of our response to God. And Psalm 116 falls in the second half of these Hallel Psalms, which are praising God for his deliverance. There's overtones of his deliverance from Egypt. And you can imagine then in the collection of the songs of God why these would be sung by his people in captivity in Babylon. They're, they're looking ahead, calling upon God to rescue them, but there's also a thanksgiving that occurs even within the midst of captivity, knowing 
who God is. God is the one who has rescued his people already from Egypt and from Philistia, from Assyria, and he will rescue from Babylon. And so it should speak to us as we read these songs in the midst of despair. We know who God is, the maker of heaven and earth, and we are called to confess him in public before everybody. Now, Psalm 116 is a song that's written as a, a, a individual song in the way that it's written, but it's written to be sung, to be read and prayed in public. So it's a personal psalm of thanksgiving, but a song that's made by vow to be sung before everybody else so that we as individuals come together and sing together of what God has done for us both corporately and individually. And it's bookended by songs that are national songs. So if you look at Psalm 117, Praise Yahweh, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great towards us. And the truth of Yahweh is everlasting. Praise, hallelujah, praise Yahweh. It's called all the nations. But in Psalm 116, it's a, a psalm the psalmist is composing, and, and it looks back on his deliverance. So read with me, then, the words of the psalmist. I love, I love Yahweh because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me. The terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow, and then I called on the name of Yahweh. O Yahweh, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is Yahweh and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Yahweh preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for Yahweh has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before Yahweh in the land of the living. I believed when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted, and I said in my alarm, all men are liars." What shall I return to Yahweh for his abundance to me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh and oh, in the presence of all his people. Precious, costly in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his godly ones. Oh, Yahweh, surely I am your servant. I am the servant of the, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. And to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh, O oh, in the presence of all his people, in the courts of Yahweh's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Hallelujah. This psalm is uh, not as easy to, to piece apart as Psalm 50 was last week. So that one, that one was simple. This one is, is much more difficult, and so it's less clear how, how the pieces fall apart. But the first thing you should notice as you, as you think about and meditate on this song is in the first four verses, in verse 2 and verse 4, there is a, a call. So he says, I, I love Yahweh because he hears my voice, because he's inclined his ears to me, so I shall call on him as long as I live. And in verse 4 again, then, after I was in the depths of despair, in the midst of sorrows and the terrors of Sheol encompassed me, then I called upon the name of Yahweh. 
And those are bookended on the other side of the psalm in verses 12 through 19 with two more references to calling on the name of Yahweh. But these, these references are from the other side of the affliction. So in the beginning, he calls on the name of Yahweh and he's calling upon him in the midst of his trouble. And in the end of the psalm, in verses, verse 14 and verse 18, sorry, verse, verse 13, verse 17, they go, they go together. He says, I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of Yahweh. I'll pay my vows to Yahweh in the midst of the presence of his people. And again in verse 17, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of Yahweh. It's the same phrase, the same, same idea. In the midst of his despair, he called on Yahweh in the beginning. And his promise in the end is, he has saved me and I will call upon him. And that's instructive to us in that the response in, in trouble and in salvation is the same. God wants us to call on his name. Who's going to be saved? The one who calls upon the name of Yahweh. And in fact, buried within the word that we translate thanksgiving in both the Old and the New Testament, we can see this idea. So in the, in the Old Testament, there's two words that are frequently translated thanks or thanksgiving, and they're, they're they're related to the same root. So the, the root word is yada, which is translated thanks, but functionally what it means is you, you extend your hand. So your, your, your hand is being used, it's held out before God. And, and toda, the other word, is, is related to that same root. It has to do with the hand. And those words, if you, if you look at how they're used, it's frequently translated thanks or praise, but it's the same word that we find in confession. So when David says, I'm going to confess my sins in Psalm 51, it's, the, it's not a different word. It's the same, same word. You, he's calling on the name of God, and he's extending his hands out so that the hands are extended out to God. It's acknowledgement of who God is, whether in trouble, in sin, or in thanksgiving. The answer is all the same. We come before God. And just as a side note, when you read through the Psalms and you look at the Psalms of lament, they're, they're, they sound like complaints. But there's a difference in the Psalms of lament between those complaints and the complaints of Israel in, as they're wandering through the wilderness. Those laments are a call to God. So they're about God to God rather than about God to somebody else. And so we're coming before God, and the refrain is always, call upon the name of the Lord, extend out your hands, lift up your hands to God. When you're in need, when you're in sin, and when he saves, it's always the same. And so the, the, the idea takes on the, 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 the idea of confession. I will acknowledge, I'll confess God in every single circumstance. When, when I'm in sin, his judgment is righteous. You're confessing that God is, is the actor behind it all, and he's right. When he saves, we confess that God is the one that did it. He saved, and it's not from us ourselves. And that same, that same idea is picked up in the Greek word in the New Testament. So there's, there's again, two words, and they're, they're a little bit different. But the one we talked about last week from, from Hebrews 13 is the, the compound word that comes from homo and logos. So you speak together. Again, it's the word for confession, but now we've moved from the hands in which you're, you're taking a sacrifice before God, you're using your hands in a sacrificial way, and now it is, it's, 
its uh, move forward in the, the history of maturation and redemption to words. We speak with God. We confess who He is before the world. And just like in the Old Testament with the word yadat, that, that Greek word also can be used for confessing sins in 1 John. Confess your sins, and He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But it's, it's frequently translated praise. So we come before Him and we speak with God, of one voice, with the God who has saved us. Now, there's a second Greek word, the one that we read in Romans chapter 1, and it's the word Eucharist. It's used of the table before us. And that word is a word that stems from grace. So good, well, grace. And it's a reflexive word. And the idea is we're, we're receiving the good grace of God, and we're coming back to Him with that same grace. So we speak, when we receive from God salvation, we speak His words back to Him. We display back to Him the very grace that He gave us. It's nothing than of ourselves. And so all that is a way of introduction and in that Psalm 116 is bookended by these two references, or four references, but, but on both sides of the bookend we're calling upon the name of Yahweh. And we're calling either from despair before salvation or after salvation in thanksgiving, we're confessing that God is the one. He's the one who made us. He is the one who has the right to do this. And, and ultimately, finally and fully, we'll see in this psalm that he is the one who keeps his covenant. So whether we're brought low or whether we're lifted high, El Elohim Yahweh is the one who has done it. So then we'll look at this psalm as composed of three sections, verses 1 through 4, verses 5 through 11, and then verses 12 through 19. So taking those two bookends and then looking in the middle of this call upon the name of Yahweh, and we find out then what God did. It's a description of who God is and, and how, the psalmist, uh, how the psalmist thinks of him. So we'll, we'll dive into that in just a minute. But first, let's look at verses 1 through 4. I love Yahweh because he hears my voice and my supplications. Literally, it's, it says, I love that, love that Yahweh hears me. If you, at least in my Bible, flip back a page to Psalm 115, this, this begins to make sense. Psalm 115, and uh, look in verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound within their throat, and those who make them will be like them, everyone who trusts in them. They're reminded that the gods of the nations are idols. They worship that which is deaf and dumb, and ultimately they become deaf and dumb like the idols that they worship, so their throats are stopped up, they do not honor or acknowledge God or give thanks, and in fact, they become just like the self-made image that they're worshiping. They have nothing to say. And yet, when we come before our God, the psalmist says, I love that Yahweh hears my voice. He's not like the idols of the nations. When we cry out to God, He hears. And it tells you something else that to sing this song 
we have to cry out to God. You can't sing the full song and come before Him then with thanksgiving in the end and call upon the name of the Lord if you have not called upon the name of the Lord. To say, I love that Yahweh hears my voice, well, you have to call on Him. You have to speak to Him. I love Yahweh because He hears my voice and my supplications, because He has inclined His ear. Literally, He's bent His ear down to me. And throughout this psalm, you should hear notes. If you remember Psalm 18, I love the Lord. He's my rock, my fortress, my stronghold, and my deliverer. But when David calls to, to the Lord in Psalm 18, it's a reflection upon his whole life, and he says that God bent the heavens and came down. He came upon the cloud in, in a terror and fury, and he lit up the world with his lightnings against David's enemy. It's this, this image that we sing about in which God, the one who sits in the heavens, the same God who scoffs at the nations, is the one who bends the very heavens to come down and place his ear to hear us sing, to hear us call upon him. So he says, because he has bent his ear down to me. Therefore, because I know this, I shall call as long as I live. When we call upon him, he answers, and it's reinforcing. We know who God is. We know him because we call upon him, and he, he answers, he hears us. Last night, we, were, uh, we started uh, the epistle to Corinth, and one of my daughters asked me, well, how do we know? Finally, you get to that question that, that kids have to answer. We all wrestle with, how do we know that this is God speaking to us? Well, there's many answers to that, but in part, we see that in the songs. We call upon God, and we know because He answers, and we respond in, in faith, and He calls us to call again, and He answers again. I call upon Yahweh because he hears my voice and my supplications. He's a covenant-keeping God. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. And specifically, then he says, the cords of death encompass me. It should remind you again of Psalm 18, David's reflection upon his entire life. He's bound up. He's close to death. The terrors of Sheol are coming upon him, so it looks like he's going to die. And he cries out to God in his distress and his sorrow. It says in verse 4 again, I called upon the name of the Lord, O Yahweh, beseech thee, save me. Throughout the Psalms, what you'll find is that there is a logic that the singers bring before God. When they're crying out to him, it's in the midst of deep distress. Death is opening up. It's ma to swallow them up. And what you hear is the, the, same, the same reasoning that you hear just a few verses earlier in Psalm 115. The heavens, verse 16, are the heavens of Yahweh, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise Yahweh, nor do any who go down in silence. But as for us, we will bless Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. Hallelujah. And so Psalm 116, we're responding then to that, that idea which doesn't begin in Psalm 115. It goes back to Psalm, Psalm 6. The dead do not praise him. In Sheol, there is no speaking of God. Psalm 88 
it asks this question. He says, is there any acknowledgement from the grave? Is there any praise of God that comes forth from the grave? Do the ghosts speak of him? And it's a call upon God that we know God made us for praise. He made us to be part of his choir. Just as the, the earth sings, the, the rivers proclaim the goodness of God, the, the deer giving birth in Psalm, uh, Psalm 29 and the trees clapping their hands, all of creation is made as a reflection of who he is. And yet we realize this one thing in death, there's silence. There's no praise of God. And so when, when death comes, then there's this call. Call to God, and it's based upon this reason. We want to, we're made to praise him. And in death, there's nothing but silence. The psalm will bring that to resolution here in a little bit. So in the middle section, verses 5 through 11, Gracious is Yahweh and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Yahweh preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for Yahweh has dealt bountifully with you. You have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before Yahweh in the land of the living. I have believed when I said I'm greatly afflicted. And I said in my alarm, all men are liars. This section you can look at, again, as a, as a chiasm. I don't know if it will, will help you, but in the beginning, he's proclaiming who God is, and it should, it, 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 he's using the words to remind us of what God called himself in Exodus 34. He's gracious and compassionate. Gracious is Yahweh and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Yahweh, Yahweh, God, gracious and compassionate. The one who shows loving kindness to his people. Book it on, on the other side. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. And so we have this juxtaposition then of the God who is a covenant-keeping God, the one who hears our cries and he's gracious and compassionate. He hears and he responds. And on the other side, in the midst of his alarm, the psalmist says, all men are liars. In verse 11, that, that may, be, may be negative. That's what most people understand it as. I said in my haste, all men are liars, and yet he spoke in haste. But it, when Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 3, it seems like it takes a, a little bit of a different term. When he's thinking about the Jewish people in, in captivity, and it looks like God is, is turning his back on his covenant, he says, no, let all men be liars, just as your word says that you may be justified, that you may be guiltless when you judge. He's quoting out of Psalm 51, but he brings this idea that though all men are liars, God is righteous. Though in the midst of our circumstances, when it looks like at the low point where God is not going to keep his word, that he's not going to keep his covenant, all men may be liars, but God is gracious and compassionate. He's righteous. He is the one that is faithful to his word. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 6, Yahweh preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. He uses the word simple. He's, he's saying naive. I'm like a child. 
So the, the simple are made wise by the word of God. That God is the one who lifts up, who guards, who protects us as children. We can't see past the end of our nose, and yet Yahweh is the one who preserves the simple. And the psalmist in verse 10, he says, I believe when I spoke. It's a statement of faith. I believed when I spoke. I'm greatly afflicted. Paul quotes this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, and we'll come look at that in the end in our understanding of the psalm as a, as a whole. But the psalmist here, he's proclaiming, I trust God. No matter what I see, in the midst of my affliction, I believe. And so because I believe, I'm going to speak. I spoke, I called upon the name of Yahweh, and the gracious God who preserves the simple has kept me. And so he speaks to himself in verse 7, Return to your rest, O my soul, for Yahweh has dealt abundantly with you. Again, that's out of Exodus 33. Moses is pleading with God to go with them, and, and God responds and says, I will. I will go up with you, so return to your rest, because I will go with you. Yahweh, the one who remembers, will walk alongside you. So he speaks to himself now, return to your rest, O my soul, because he has confidence in God. God will answer, and so be at peace. The God who made the heavens and the earth, you have his ear. He'll bend the heavens down and come and ride on the clouds to your rescue. So return to your rest because Yahweh God is the one who walks alongside of us. And so we have this confidence bookended then in verse 9. I shall walk before Yahweh in the land of the living. So remember the dead do not praise God. The psalmist knows that God made us for himself. He made us to bring us into his house to praise him. And so he... He says, I will walk before him in the land of the living because only the living speak the praise of God. And then in verse 8, we have the central part of what God has done. Verse 8, he says, For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. So there's a three-part salvation here. You've rescued my soul from death. You've lifted me out of the grave. If you think through all the stories of the Old Testament, you can, you can think about people who, who can sing this song. So think about Hezekiah. He's on death's grave, and he cries out to God, and he says, I'm, I'm about to enter Sheol. Rescue me. And God responds, and he does. He lifts him up, and he gives him a stay of execution. He says, I'll give you 15 more years. I'll turn the sun back in the sky. And Hezekiah responds in praise. But, of course, looking through the whole scope of God's history, what we, what we know and meditating on it, and the psalmists and the New Testament writers understood this as they meditated on what God was saying here. You have rescued my soul from death. Well, eventually Hezekiah died. Eventually Lazarus died. Eventually all those that God rescued still died. And so there's an answer in the end of the psalm. But, of course, we know the answer. God pulls us up out of the grave, through death. So it's not just a, a, a rescue from impending death, but we praise God in anticipation of the fullness of the life that he's giving in which he rescues our soul from death and through death into life again. You've rescued my eyes from tears. Think about Psalm 6. My... I laid on my bed. My couch was drenched in tears. He's swimming in sorrow and grief and fear and pain. 
when we're in the midst of that trouble and we're afraid of the affliction all about, remember what the psalmist says, you, you've rescued my, my soul from death, but also my eyes from tears. And my feet from stumbling. So not just, not just the death that's coming, not just the fear of that death or all of its effects in our midst, but he's also rescued our feet from stumbling. And so in, in the midst of this, he's kept the psalmist upright so that he hasn't abandoned God. Even that is a work of the God who saves, who redeems. He's kept the psalmist's feet from stumbling. And so in verse 12, then we have the other side of this book in, what shall I return to God? What shall I, my, my version says render, but the word is re, return. Just as God has returned his soul to rest, he says, now what shall I return in, in, back to God for his abundance to me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. And so the psalmist's answer is, I'm going to do what I did in the beginning. What shall I return to the Lord for all of his abundance to me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and I'll call on his name. It's the same idea you saw in Psalm 50 in which God calls us to call upon him. So the faithful who offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, what are they urged to do? Call upon God and he'll rescue them again. We're called to honor him, to confess his name, not just privately, but notice here that it's public. God wants our public praise in the midst of his people. So when we gather together, we do it to proclaim all that God has done. To give him thanks for every answer to prayer, expected and unexpected, to keep the vows that we make when we're in the midst of distress, we call upon the name of Yahweh. And he says, I do it, I lift up, I shall lift up the cup of salvation. Looking backwards in Scripture, that may be referring to the, uh, the drink offering. So in Numbers 15, on top of the sacrifice, you would pour out the drink offering to God, and, and he drinks in rest in the land. But looking ahead, it should remind us of Jesus at the last Passover supper, taking up and lifting up the drink and calling us to drink with him. He says, I, I shall not drink it again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. And then he walks out and he sings a hymn. That hymn that he sings, almost everybody recognizes it, that it comes from these Hallel songs. So Psalm 113 through 118 would be the song sung at the Passover feast at the end of the supper. And Jesus then would take these words upon his lips. I shall lift the cup of salvation and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh, O, oh, in the presence of his people. And so Jesus, as he's going to his death, then there's a song on his lips about the salvation of God from death. So that he would sing before the God of the heavens and the earth, El Elohim. He would sing then of that salvation. All of this comes to fruition then in verse 15. He says, Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his godly ones. 
There's a very strange verse in the middle of this song in which God is rescuing the psalmist from death. And then we read this, precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his godly ones. This is frequently used at funerals, but then if you read the commentators on it, they want to change the verse just a little bit so that it reads more along the lines of precious in the sight of Yahweh is the life of his godly ones, because then they can sing his praise. But that's not what God says. He says costly, like a, like a precious stone is the death of his godly ones. Well, if you're singing these psalms, you have to meditate, well, what does that mean? And it only begins to make sense when we see the fullness of a resurrecting God who does not allow his holy one to undergo decay, but lifts him up on the third day and resurrects him to sing praise before God, unceasing praise. Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his godly ones. And verse 16, coupled with that, O Yahweh, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid, and you have loosed my bonds. So he says, I'm not just your bond servant, but I'm a houseburn servant. So I, I was born to a servant. I'm a servant servant in your house. I'm, I am like... Uh, like an adopted son in the house of God. And he says, you have loosed my bonds. Well, if you, if you just ponder that in your mind, you compare it with what he just says, I am a bondservant, a bondservant's bondservant in your house, and you've loosed my bonds. You've set me free. And yet the psalmist doesn't want to go anywhere. In the context of the rest of the psalm, there are the cords of death that have encompassed me, the terrors of Sheol that have come upon me. So the psalmist pictures himself as being wrapped up in a rope by death, and he's God's servant, and God looses his bonds. The question is, what bonds are loosed? He's set free. He's set free, and I, I think when you look at it with verse 15, he's set free from death. This is a resurrection psalm. You've loosed my bonds, and so to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people and the courts of Yahweh's house in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise Yahweh, or hallelujah. So the response of the psalmist is, again, I'll come before you, this time with an offering a thanksgiving offering. We looked at those last week in, uh, in Leviticus, and it's done in public. I want to make a few more comments about that before, uh, before turning to 2 Corinthians. So if you would, turn with me back then to Leviticus 19. And remember that in this fifth book of songs, they're organized then to be sung in captivity. And in captivity, you couldn't follow the rules of Leviticus 3 or 7 because there's no temple to go to. And yet, the psalmist here, in, in, in its organization, is called to offer a sacrifice of, of thanksgiving, a confession before God. Now, look in Leviticus 19... And let's read starting in verse 1. 
Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Every one of you shall fear his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbath. I am Yahweh your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am Yahweh your God. Now when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to Yahweh, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. And it shall be eaten the same day you offer it and the next day, but what remains until the third day shall be burned with fire. So if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an offense. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it will bear his iniquity, for he has profaned the holy thing of Yahweh, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Leviticus 19 looks forward to dwelling in the land, and it repeats then the peace offering sacrifice. You eat it, you get to eat it two days, and then in the third day, everything that's left is, is burned up. It, it ascends to God. It should remind us then of Jesus as the peace offering, in which the third day he ascends before God. But it's taken within the context of how you deal with people in the land. So look in verse 19. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of the field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am Yahweh your God. And you can read on and on. It's all about provision for the other people in the land, for the poor and for the needy. Don't oppress the stranger and the, the helpless. And in the midst of that, God reminds them of the peace offering, the one in which you have to invite your neighbor, your brother, your friend to come celebrate before God to consume that cow, that goat, that lamb in celebration of what God has done. Now, if you would turn with me then to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look in verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke." We also believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So notice in verse 13, he quotes out of Psalm 116. The quote doesn't seem like an important one. He says, having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. It seems very obscure 
for Paul to pull this phrase from Psalm 116. Consider Paul's circumstances. He says, we have the treasure of Christ. So he's shown upon us, we have the light of the knowledge of Christ, and we have that treasure within us, within earthen vessels, and those earthen vessels need to be smashed open for the light to escape. Thinking back to, to Gideon. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves, and we're afflicted in every way. So the psalmist in Psalm 116, he's ensnared. Sheol is staring at him. The cords of death encompass him. And Paul, if you read through his biography, he does that again and again and again until finally he dies. Now, looking forward to that death, he quotes Psalm 116. I believe, having the same spirit of faith as the psalmist who wrote this song, I believe, therefore I spoke. He says, we also believe, therefore also we speak. Now, he's looking backwards and forwards to what God is going to do in and through him. And he repeats the psalmist. We believe, so we speak. Present tense now. So not just looking at what God has done in in rescuing him, but believing we speak right now because God is rescuing him. But Paul, as he meditates on this psalm, he's not trying to escape death. Instead, he says, we're giving our bodies over. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. We carry about in our body the dying of Jesus. And he's looking forward that death works in us, but life in you. And so he knows this in verse 14. We know this. We believe this, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So he's looking forward to affliction and death. And yet he quotes a psalm of thanksgiving in which God has rescued from death. And in verse 15, then, we have an explanation. All this is for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound, to superabound to the glory of God. And so when Paul looks forward, he sings a psalm of thanksgiving, and there's then embedded in this, this picture that as Paul dies, he trusts in the God who raises up so that God will be, uh, Paul will be able to proclaim God's goodness. But in looking through death into life, he is like the offering of the thanksgiving in which God's grace abounds not just to him, but beyond him. So in his death and in his resurrection, like Jesus, people come to look and see, the Corinthians can look and see, and that grace is spreading to more and more people, which produces this superabundance of thanksgiving. And so, looking at a fuller picture of the psalm, God rescues us. He hears his voice, but he does it in the most magnificent way in which he calls us as his people to follow Jesus singing the hymn of Psalm 116 as we look forward to death and resurrection. And our prayer then is that because of what God has done us, he, done for us, he, he bends the heavens and hears our voice. He rescues us when he calls him. So because he's done this, it's our desire, it's our longing to ascend to be with him, but not just 
us. But we want everybody to abound in this grace to thanksgiving. So it should be our prayer as we meet around the Eucharist, the reflex of grace given back to God that we are joined with Him at this table, looking forward with Jesus to walk in His footsteps, to follow in His ways, and to, to use our life, our death, and our coming life as a thanksgiving to God. So if you would, bow with me and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the many ways that you have saved us. Lord, together we can proclaim the salvation that comes from the cross. We know, we know what was done for us as Jesus died, but individually, Lord, we all have songs of thanksgiving that ought to rise together because out of every peril and trouble and lament, you save. You rescue your people who call upon you. And so, Lord, today we call upon you. We lift up our hands to proclaim the goodness of our God, the sovereignty of the God who made us and redeemed us, to confess that you, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that Jesus, who sang and who died and has been resurrected, sits at the right hand of God on high. And today, Lord, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture, here to proclaim who you are in song and thanksgiving. And so we pray that you would receive our songs of praise as we meet with you and eat from your hand. We pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join me in singing, Now Thank We All Our God. 